0: And I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges we have sometimes with our personal growth. To be better on this mission to constantly grow is the opinions and expectations of people around us. kind of limits us in a way that I don't think we're fully conscious of. I've been fighting with one arm tied behind my back. But what happens
1: when I'm finally set free?
0: What are we doing in life? Echoes an eternity. Supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard makes it great.
2: Only love can truly save the world.
0: This is my mission now, forever.
1: Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Today, I had the privilege of speaking to one of my friends. I would call him a mentor, somebody who I immensely respect, Jim Quick who is widely recognized, he's a world expert on speed reading, memory improvement, brain performance, and accelerated learning. And yes, it's his real name. Quick is his real name, and he teaches you to be quicker. K-W-I-K is how you spell it. He is really world renowned. Some of the biggest corporations on the planet have hired him from Google to Virgin, Nike, Zappos, uh, NYU, GE, Fox Studios, Harvard, Singularity U, the list goes on and on. He's most uh, also very famous for teaching many of his heroes the X-Men to uh, of the likes of Hugh Jackman and Halle Berry and uh, Patrick Stewart on learning their lines better, faster, quicker. He is just a bucket of knowledge and he is so gifted with word, you know, listening to him. I found myself just getting lost in the conversation uh, as I often do with people that I know, love and respect. And we completely lost track of time actually. So we have edited this out, but in part of the conversation, uh, his next appointment uh, was calling him because we had spoken for, we just got into this really beautiful discussion on critical thinking and hacked into our flow states and we're just really, really enjoying each other's company. He's somebody who I have so much respect for. Of course, he's a man after my own heart. I absolutely am enthralled with anything that talks about brain optimization and leveling up the organ under your hat, the brain. So uh, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jim Quick. Jim, welcome to the podcast.
0: Stephanie, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone who's joining us. And uh, I think the ultimate quest we're all on is to just to be better, right? To be able to, to grow and progress and fully express ourselves. And, um, little by little, little becomes a lot. So daily, I love daily. that.
1: That is yeah. the philosophy of the podcast in a nutshell. Thank you so
2: much.
0: Congratulations for, for the show.
1: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been something I wanted to do for a long time. So I'm happy that I'm finally um getting getting out of my comfort zone and doing it. I love it. So, I wanted to um I wanted to have you on as one of our first uh guests on the show because you are the perfect blend of neuroscience and personal development and uh, you know, you blend that with practical wisdom, which I think you know, is a hallmark of any good coach. You know, I know you call yourself a brain coach, and I think that any good coach really meets their client where they are. And like the amount of, you know, the depth of knowledge that you have across all those different platforms, you could easily out-talk anybody and use all fancy words and all of that. But you are so uh, great at taking really cons like complex, constructs and breaking them down into actionable items for people. And I want, in today's podcast, I want to get into some of your frameworks because I think they're really practical, really easy for anybody to be using. But before we do that, I would love to maybe get a little bit of your origin story and talk, you know, maybe answer the question around why it matters to you so much. So why does it matter, you know, for people to you know learn faster to study better to upgrade their brain health why is that so important for you jim
0: well this this is a topic that's near and dear to to my heart uh, you and i have spent uh, a lot of time with each other you've been on my show multiple times talking about how to have a shredded mind and and the power of the female brain and we've shared stages together and it, you know while known for those brain performance, cognitive abilities, it's reasons of passion is because I grew up um, learning challenged. And um, some people know that when I was in kindergarten, while in class, I had a very bad fall, very bad accident and a, a traumatic brain injury. And from that day forward, my family said I wasn't the same. My parents, uh, my personality changed even at that age. Uh, I didn't understand things. Teachers would continuously repeat themselves over and over and over again. Uh, and I didn't understand. I would pretend to understand, but I didn't really understand. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. you feel like imposter syndrome at you know an elementary school. But um, I was very slow to learn, and it took me an extra few years even to learn how to read. It was so frustrating for one of my teachers. Uh, and when I was nine years old, she pointed to me in front of the whole class and said, that's the boy with the broken brain. And um, it became a label. Adults worst, have to be. Yeah. teacher. Yeah. yeah. I, I just feel like, you know, people do things, you know, in, in poor states of mind and, and it maybe didn't express itself in the best, best possible way. But you know, there was a happy ending, you know, later about a decade and a half later, but I, I, I struggled. Um, that became my inner talk every time I wasn't picked for sports or did badly on a test or quiz, which was like all the time, I would always say, oh, it's cause I'm, I had the broken brain
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, yeah. uh, and that became who, who I thought I was. And I struggled all through school. And at the um, age of 18, I was a freshman in college. And I thought freshman meant I could make a fresh start because I wanted to show my family. Um, my parents, they immigrated to the United States. And it was a tip- very typical immigrant story. You know, We didn't have any money, um, no money, no you know, education and connections. We lived in the back of a laundromat that my mom worked at. And, you know, but I really wanted to make my family proud, my parents proud for all the sacrifice that they, but I started, I did worse in college and I was ready to quit. And I didn't end up quitting because I had a, a, an, an, a an experience. My, my friend, when I was debating this, like how do you tell your parents you're going to quit school? Like when you're the kind of like trying to be a role model for your younger brother, your younger sister. And my friend said, hey, why don't you, why don't before you do it why don't you get some perspective and i think perspective is so important the power of perspective i think it could change our life instantly having a change of uh, point of view and usually what it does is, is a change of environment change of place or a change of people and so i go to visit his family over the weekend and um you know his family is pretty well off and the father walks me around his property before dinner and asks me a very innocent question and I think the power of questions is also an important tool that we have besides perspective is the power of questions. He asked me how's school, which is pretty much the worst question you could ask me at that stage in my life. Yeah. Uh, and because I'm holding all this angst inside, I just break down in front of this complete stranger and I tell him my whole story, my accident, my broken brain, how I'm gonna quit school, and I'm gonna not don't know how to tell my family. And he's like, "Well, Jim," he asked me another question, "Why are you in school?" You know, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to share? And uh, I didn't, those are new questions for me. And the principle here is like, you know, ask a new question, you get a new answer. I, in fact, I do believe questions are the answer because they direct our focus. And I never focused on why, what, what my why was. I know when I spoke on stage with you at, at um, at Archangel, which I'm, I'm representing the shirt right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was Simon Sinek was there, you know, start with why the power of why and purpose. Yeah. But I didn't know why I was doing it. I just thought that, you know, you go to school and you just do well. And you, so you get a job and, and do that. And, um, and so, but when he asked me again, I didn't have an answer. I started to answer him. He takes out of his back pocket, a uh, journal. And I didn't realize it's like, it's interesting. Another, another principle, the principal not just kind of deconstructing it that, um, you know, some of the most successful people, they, they journal all the time. They're always writing and expressing their thoughts and reflecting on them. Um, and he tears out a couple of sheets of paper and hands them to me and asks me to write down these goals and uh, what I want to be, do, have, share with the world. And um, and this became like a bucket list. After going through the exercise, I don't know how long it took. I had a couple of pages of dreams and I fold the sheets to put in my pocket and grabs that of my hand. And I'm honestly just freaked out because I wasn't expecting this man to to see them. I thought I was just writing this in private. And I think it's interesting thinking about it because I was so concerned about what other people thought and their opinions. And I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges we have sometimes with our personal growth to be better on this mission to constantly grow is the opinions and expectations of people around us. It kind of limits us in a way that... I don't think we're fully conscious of back in school because I was the boy with the broken brain. I think we talk about you and I, and Gio. You know, we talk about superheroes a lot and superpowers. I think my superpower growing up as a kid was being invisible, meaning that I didn't want to be called on in class. I, I didn't want to stand out because I didn't want the spotlight. I maybe deep down I think we maybe we all want to be validated and, and seen and heard, but and I didn't want to because you feel like you don't have a lot to offer. And I'm an introvert. And I don't know how many introverts are, are, are listening, but just represent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you and I are introverts. But I also became, after the accident, very painfully shy, which is right. different. Um, and that really had a big blow on my self-esteem, not feeling uh, worthy, uh, not feeling enough. And so this gentleman is looking at my goals. He, you know, He's looking at them and I don't know how much time goes by, but he looks up and he says, Jim, you are this close to everything on that list. And he spreads his fingers. You can see me on if you're watching this on video, but um, he spreads his fingers about a foot apart. And then he puts them right to the side of my head with my head in between, meaning oh that God. that was, that was the wow. key. You know, I'm this close to everything on that list. And it really had to do with my brain and my mind. And I didn't really understand the power of that until later on, but mm-hmm. he takes me into uh, his home and it shows me a room at his home that you would love. Um, it's wall to wall, ceiling to floor, covered in books. And wow. I've never like been in a, <laughs> somebody's home, but a library in somebody's home is pretty outstanding. But keep in mind, at that time, I've never finished a book cover to cover. I'm I'm like really adverse to reading, and I'm in in a way fearful of that process because I think all of us. I don't know if anyone could remember this, but remember when we first learned how to read. And we would get in those circles, and you, they would pass around the book, and you had to read out loud. And
1: yeah, nightmare.
0: Yeah, and it, it is. I think that's where a lot of fear of public speaking comes from. That if somebody has a, a fear or phobia of speaking in front of a group of people, I think that's where it started. Because all those fears are learned, right? Um, and there they were, you know, we're not born with the fear of public speaking, but it, it was imprinted on us somewhere. I think. For a lot of people, it was when we had to read out loud because we're not great at it. And for me, when that book kept on coming closer, 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 um, I couldn't read at all. And so I would, when, when they would hand me the book, I would just stare at it and almost want to cry inside. But then I would just pass the book on because I didn't, those words didn't mean anything. And, um, and so going back to this, I'm in this room full of books and it's like being in a room full of snakes. It's if you're afraid of snakes and what makes it worse is he starts grabbing snakes off the shelf and, and I'm looking at these titles and there are these biographies of some incredible women and men in history and some very early old school personal growth books like Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, Napoleon Hill. Uh, all the classics. And I have a pile of books and he's like, Jim, I want you to read one book a week. And I was like, I cleaned my ears. I'm like, I must be hearing you wrong. You know? Yeah. Like, like, have you not heard my story? And I I have a broken brain. I don't learn it. I'm a horrible reader. And I always tell people when I hear this from people, because people come to me all the time at the airport or at events saying, Jim, I just have a horrible memory. I'm getting too old and I'm not smart enough. And, I always tell people stop. I was saying, you if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. If you fight for your limitations, they're they're yours to keep. And uh, and I'm arguing for all the reasons why I can't read all these books, right? And um, and then he's a very smart man. He and I, and I was like, I have so much schoolwork. I tell him I can't even read my schoolwork. And he says, Jim, he says, don't let school get in the way of your education. And oh uh, my wow.
1: god, mic drop! Yeah.
0: Wow. It's a powerful. I know it's a powerful quote. It actually, um, I didn't know it at the time, but it's a Mark Twain quote and it just, it really hit me and I was just like, yeah, but still I can't do it because it's my, if I commit it to doing it, I'm going to do it and I don't have the capability and a very smart man, he reaches into his pocket and what does he pull out? He pulls out my bucket list, my dream list, and he starts to read every single one of my dreams out loud. I mean, can you just imagine like you're this 18 year old you know, kid and you're very insecure and somebody who's obviously very successful and happy and you hear your dreams out coming out of that stranger's voice and out into the universe and these are things you've never even maybe even told yourself the things that you really really wanted and um and honest to be uh, like completely transparent a lot of things on that list were things i wanted to do for my family Mm
2: -hmm. things
0: they could never afford or even if they could afford they would never do for themselves and with that leverage and motivation, call it what, call it you know, a, a reason. Uh, I agreed to read one book a week, and this principle, I'm just going to call it out and spotlight it. I think it's important to again know our know our why. You know, we're talking about the power of perspective, changing place and people, the power of new questions, the power of writing things down, because we know that. It's interesting, you look at geniuses and they all kept these journals, right? You think about Einstein or Edison or Marie Curie or, or De, Da Vinci, their, their journals are, are priceless. And I always wondered, is it because they're geniuses that they wrote things down or is it because they're constantly writing down their thoughts that, that they became you know, world-class uh, you know, geniuses? And uh, so you see all these principles, another principle is understanding what motivates you, what gets you to do what you do. And because a lot of the things on that list were things I wanted to do for family, that's very motivating for me. Things, you know, taking care um, and supporting the people that, that you know, and that family, friends, it's one of my top values. And so I agreed to read one book a week. And now, uh, fast forward, I'm sitting back at school and a, I'm sitting at my desk, a pile of books I have to read for school, and then a pile of books I promised to read to this man, to my, to my mentor. And um, I already couldn't get through pile A how am I going to get through pile B? So, you know, my mind's like, okay, well, I just have to sacrifice. I I don't, I don't, I don't work out. I don't spend time with friends. I don't, I'm not eating. I just, I'm not even sleeping. I just like living in the library because that was the only way I thought I could do is just work, work harder. It's not very sustainable, obviously. And so weeks into it, I pass out at the library one really late night. I fall down the flight of stairs in the library and I hit my head again. And I woke up two days later and at this point I'd lost an immense amount of weight. Um, I was down to 117 pounds in the hospital bed. I thought I, I thought I died and it was a really dark, I never felt that level of despair before hopelessness. And it's not a really great place to be because um, you know, your thoughts take you to places that just, you know, when it's not really healthy. And I was hooked up to all these IVs and because I was malnourished and dehydrated and, I just thought there has to be a better way. And when I had that thought, the nurse came in with a mug of tea as you're, as you're, as you're, as you're drinking out of, out of your cup. my like
1: cappuccino, yep.
0: <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the mug was a picture of Albert Einstein. And, uh, and there was a quote that we've all heard in some form. It said, the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. The same level of thinking of the, that's created your problem won't solve your problem. And it just made me think, well, what's my problem? I mean, my real problem is, is, and I think everyone has to really define what their challenge is, you know, get clarity on it. And so mine was, I'm a really slow learner. And I was like, okay, well, according to Einstein, how do I think differently about it? I was like, well, maybe I could learn how to learn faster. And that was my new question. How can I learn better? How can I learn faster? And how can I learn smarter? Because I couldn't possibly work any harder. I was, um, and I thought it was know, unfair that I was working three times harder than all my friends and I was doing worse than all of them. And I don't think anyone's ever been in a situation where it just, you know, it's not, it's interesting with school because you it, it's, it, it's it, the, the impression that you walk out of if you're not successful going through school is that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they teach in a very specific way right. and they, you know, pretty much everyone now, it's changing, but it hasn't changed as much as the world has changed. But if some people come out as an output, as doing successful at it, but some people aren't, and it's, there's something wrong with those, you know, and so, and I think there's a difference between learning style and, and teaching style, and then maybe if you're not connecting with information you would normally be interested in, it's like the way you prefer to learn is different than the way the teacher prefers to teach, and it's like your two ships in the night, you pass each other, and there's no connection. And, um, and I think it's important. I think self-awareness is a superpower. Understanding how we learn when we learn better um, is very important in terms of how we prefer. Much like if you're left-handed or right-handed, it's not like you don't use the other hand, but you prefer to go a certain way. And I think some people prefer to learn in, in very specific ways. Um, but going when I'm in the hospital and I left the hospital, I'm thinking, well, how do I learn how to learn? And I look at a course bulletin I thought school could teach me. And when I look at the course bulletin, everything, every class for next semester, they're all classes on what to learn: math, history, science, Spanish. Important class on what to learn, but they're not. There weren't zero classes on how to learn, because I learned that school teaches you what to learn, what to think, what to remember, but not necessarily how to learn, how to think, and how to remember those things. And um, and it's 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 interesting because sometimes coaches or teachers or parents, they'll they'll maybe with a the child to say, just, just, you know, study this. But no one's taught how to study those things. Right? Or just
1: focus. Just, just right. Focus. Focus. That's another one I hear. Yeah, focus. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just concentrate.
0: But mm-hmm. it's like, it's like going to somebody and saying, play the piano if they've never been taught how to play the piano. Mm-hmm. And, um, and these are actual skills. And part of what frees us, gives us our agency back, is realizing that a lot of words that we use as nouns we, can't, we should actually treat them more as verbs. So it's not like you have focus or you, or you have motivation or you have creativity, but you could do those things instead, and um, and you could turn it into a process, and that gives you your sovereign, your agency back, your personal power back. And so I start. I close the course bulletin. I just put that aside because not much is coming out of my studies, and I start studying this thing called studying. I wanted to solve this riddle of this like puzzle, like how does my brain work so I could work my brain? How does my memory work so I could work my memory? And I start studying those things and the things I started to pick up are things like, um, mnemonics, like what did the ancient Greeks do? What did, did people do before there were smartphones? What did people do before there were printing presses? How did they pass on memory and and knowledge? How they retain all that. And so there's ancient wisdom that I studied from different cultures. And then also, the latest in learning theory in this field of meta-learning. Meta-learning is like the science of learning how to learn. Uh, This this area of of brain science is where I started really understanding the brain, have a deep appreciation for how our brain works. Uh, Multiple intelligence theory, adult learning theory. And um, about speed reading, about 60 days into it, a light switch flipped on and I started to understand things for the first time. I mean, really understand things and, and my focus increased. I started to retain information. I started to be able to apply it and I started to read faster. And it's like this well opened up and my grades uh, improved. But along with that, my life improved pretty substantially also um, because that was like my Achilles heel. And it's interesting that how our struggles could sometimes lead to our strengths. But I, I don't believe that there's anything... So there's an essay, a good memory or a bad memory, but there's a trained memory and an untrained memory. That genius can be learned, and uh, I've devoted my life to it because when I learned these skills, I started helping all my friends because I got really upset that this wasn't taught in school. I mean, I suffered every single day since the age of five to through you know eighteen, you know, my whole childhood essentially thinking i'm not i'm not enough that that there's something wrong with me and i was working so hard carry so much shame and guilt and you know low self-esteem and when there were simple things i could have learned on how to do better and so i started helping people and i started a tutor and one of my very first students she was a freshman in college she read 30 books in 30 days now can you can you imagine and not skim or scan can you imagine going online or going to the bookstore, picking up 30 books, your favorite, on leadership, on wellness, on, on team building and on negotiation, on, on marketing, whatever, and reading them and understanding them and be able to apply. And I wanted to find out, I believe genius leaves clues. You know, it's something I just, if somebody's extraordinary at something, there's a process, there's a method to what looks like magic. When people see me on stages, memorize names or numbers or words like 100 or plus it's i there's something i do and anyone could do it because I, I couldn't do it at one point either right and so um going back here i i want to find out how she not how she did it i know how she did it because i taught her i want to know why i'm very interested in what people's motivations are
2: mm-hmm. and why
0: some people everyone knows what to do but they don't necessarily do what they know you know as so we heard that common sense is not common practice and the ultimate way to get better is to apply what we, what we are learning, because if we're not applying it, we're no better off than somebody who didn't even learn it to begin with, right? And I would argue, really, that knowledge is not power. It's the, it has potential power. It only becomes power when we utilize it. And so I wanted to find out why she was reading all these books. And I found out that her mother was dying of terminal cancer, was given 60 days to live by doctors. And the books she was reading were books to save her mom's life. And I wished her luck, prayers, six months goes by, I don't hear from her, I get a call and she's crying, crying, crying. And I find out, found out there tears of joy that her mother not only survived, but is really getting better. Doctors don't know how, they don't know why, they called it a miracle, but her mother attributed 100% to the great advice she got from her daughter, who learned it from all these books. And in that moment, I realized at the core of my being that if knowledge is power, then learning is our superpower. And learning is our superpower. It's a superpower we all have inside of us. Uh, and, you know, we just aren't shown how to how to fully utilize it, you know, because your brain doesn't come with an owner's manual and it's not necessarily user-friendly. user, user friendly. Right. And so I devoted my life to, you know, as the boy with the broken brain, To I don't want anyone to struggle and suffer the way I did and not feel like that they're enough. And I devoted my life to helping build better, brighter brains. You know, my, my mission is no brain left behind.
1: That's incredible. And I feel, you know, we all have someone that we can think back to and say, that person was like a tipping point for me. And I feel like your friend's father. I mean, what a blessing to have come across an individual like that to start, you know, bringing you to start shifting your perspective just a little bit. I love that so much. And what I love about your body of work as well is what you're doing is your meta thinking, you're thinking about how to think, you know, you're talking about, and the ways that you teach is you're, you're thinking about rather than what to think, as you said, you're thinking about how to think because like our education the education system, I think, for the most part, and I agree with you, I do think that there are you know schools of thought that are uh, progressively moving us forward, but for the most part, it's a compliance based system. it's basically done to us, and what I think you're describing here is the choice that you made to learn, that it's an active process when you acquire information, you know, thinking about how you can, you know, play with it and how you can fully understand it and apply it. I mean, that's, that's in my opinion, anyway, that's what I think learning is as being able to look at it from a couple of different angles and understand how it applies in, you know, whatever circumstance you're trying to uh, understand it in being a meta thinker, you know, what are some of the hallmarks in your opinion of critical thinking?
0: Yeah. So I think now for the age that we live in right now, um, where a lot of jobs and careers with technology and exponential technology, yeah. a lot of jobs are going to automation. They're going to artificial intelligence. Um, they're being outsourced. I mean, just walk into any store now. It's like, You know, I just got, actually, I just got a 15 hour flight and everything is automated, right? It's, it's, everything is, it's, it's machines, learning, Um, it's, it's like you're checking yourself in.
1: Customs is now, a lot of times when you go through customs, it's automated, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And so jobs, you know, what happens to those jobs that could go to technology? And that's a big challenge. And so what, what makes us valuable as human beings? And I think it really comes down to the power of our mind. And part of it is our ability to think and our ability to solve problems, our ability to be creative, and those were really, and that, that's what I, I, I would hope education is moving into, spending more time teaching those skills, things that aren't going to necessarily be outsourced to or, or utilized by a piece of machinery. And so creativity, problem solving, critical thinking skills, divergent thinking, it's mm-hmm. so important, and we lose that sometimes, as you mentioned, in education in this compliance system, where we're just the the understanding is the the paradigm is like you you sit down and it's like you're being lectured to, and you're just you just listen and you're supposed to just consume information. And I don't think you, the human brain learns the best or expresses the best by consumption. I think we learn through creation and co-creation. And in school, they teach you. And you know, other things they don't teach necessarily as much is 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 social and emotional intelligence. And and those because it's not just your neurological networks; it's your, it's your it's it's also your social networks also as well. And so, in a world where kids are growing up a swipe away, you know, on, on joysticks and on, on smart devices, we could get the most incredible education from the best history teacher at Oxford University for free online so where where do parents and, and teachers come in they could be more experiential they could do or run more more labs and experiments and and really customize and facilitate those those characters and one of the things is, is critical thinking you know and when we're talking about coming up with new ideas and innovation and solving problems and uh, coming from this child minds it's interesting there's I did a podcast recently and I talked about how there's a truck that wasn't the driver wasn't paying attention. How and how often are we not paying attention? Like we're just on autopilot, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: it, it it goes and it goes under a bridge, but the truck is too high and it gets stuck because the bridge is, comes down too low and automatically the uh, the truck driver instinctually just starts to press on the gas. And, you know, because that's the thing, it's gotta work harder and harder. So it pushes on the gas and it actually gets really dug in. And so when he tries to go out and reverse, he can't anymore. And after, after a little while you can imagine that amount of traffic that's building up behind him in that in that that single lane and a crowd emergency vehicles start coming in and a crowd starts to to form and after hours of these you know professionals trying to figure out you know pushing it and pulling it um they can't do anything so they decide to demolish the truck and there's a six-year-old in in the crowd and and says out loud saying why don't you just let the some of the air out of the tires (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that crazy, right? <laughs> and, and then it's like this big aha, eureka, you know, flood through adults. They okay. did that, and obviously the truck lowered, and they were able to pull it out mm. and extract it. And sometimes it's the elusive obvious. And maybe the, the lesson from this parable is, the, you know, the mind of a child and be able to see things through fresh eyes because often it takes somebody to look at something without the paradigms of just and the limitations of a certain education system or certain upbringing. And again, coming from a different perspective. And, right. uh, but and I that's, think
1: that's like a superpower, right? Like that, yeah. like that is creative inju- that's imaginative kind of thinking outside the box, which, you know, when we're talking about uh, you know, jobs that are being lost to computers and robots and AI, you can't, you can't like I don't I don't ever think, at least I don't I mean, I never say never, but I don't think that a robot can be creative or imaginative right. or have the strat like the strategic or maybe strategy, but maybe not the strategic cap- like capabilities of a human.
0: Yeah, and so that's why I think we need to double down on uh, are, are those are those skills that make us valuable because nowadays we're not paid. It's not like a hundred years ago. We're not live in an agricultural age or you know an in, in age of, of 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 industry. We're based on our brute strength. It's our brain strength. Yeah. Right. Our value in today's world and economy is the power of our own mind. Mm-hmm. And, to utilize that in, in the most viable way possible and part of it is an entrepreneur because I know you have a lot of entrepreneur listeners or and, and ultimately we're all on you know at some level where we're the CEO of our own person right and brand brand
1: I love that yeah
0: you know uh, entrepreneurs are professional problem solvers right they add value um, trying to solve problems in the, in the marketplace and I feel like there's a process for that also as well
1: yeah and i think you know that 6 year old asked a really great question you know when we think about one of the one of the ways that i've been able to and by no means i'm no master critical thinker but this idea of socratic questioning you know the most famous of the socratic questions being why you know so the 6 year old is like why don't we just let some air out of the tires you know why don't we why don't we just challenge this current paradigm is there a counter argument you know and i think Um, This leads into, when we think about critical thinking, it leads into the ability to make better decisions as well. Because if you're able to understand information and play with it and understand how to apply it in a number of different scenarios, you know, in in the context of health, because that's the, you know, the area that I tend to play in, you know, that's going to help somebody make a better decision about their health. It's going to be, you know, more of what we call an informed decision or informed consent to care. When we think about people making decisions, because I've heard you say this and I think it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's poetic and beautiful and you are are gifted with word in the way that you've said something to the effect of life is a reflection of the decisions that you make.
2: Yeah.
1: But why are people so scared of making decisions? Is there, can you, can you speak to that a little bit in terms of like the fear of making a mistake or, you know, you had actually talked about this as well. You said you were, you were scared of reading, you saw the the library and it looked like it was all, you know, snakes and, you know, snakes. And uh, yeah. he was like pulling the snakes off the shelf for you. Why are, why are people so scared of making decisions?
0: for making good decisions you're you're familiar with the research done around decision fatigue and how sometimes you know they say say that you can make a certain amount of good decisions a limited amount a day um and part of it is just having the mental wherewithal and so some people are just they they're suffering from mental fatigue and they don't they haven't really exercised their decision making muscles Mm -hmm. because they're, they're, lax. And we've all heard this phrase, how you do anything, how you do anything is how you do everything in life. And I think people have to be more conscious. A lot of, um, uh, universities state that approximately, I think Princeton also says about 40% of just what we do day to day is just based on scripts, old scripts. We're not making necessarily new decisions on it's just old scripts and you know, systems, habits, um, that are unconscious. Uh, part of, the fear of making a mistake. It's this thing that people are always posting on Instagram that a child could fall 500 times and learning how to walk, but never says like, hey, I'm just gonna give up on walking. But adults, they'll try a coding class or a ballroom dancing class. So they'll try something brand new.
1: Starting a podcast.
0: Exactly. (laughs) And, and That's the thing. I feel like that no matter what our age, that it's more a chronic, not a chronologically, just more of an age of your mind mm-hmm. or an age of your, like your heart and your ability to, to be playful with it. Um, but sometimes they'll take a group of five-year-olds, a class of five-year-olds and say, how many artists are in the room? And they'll all raise their hand. But you come back 10 years later when they're 15 years old, at that same classroom. How many artists are in the room? And maybe 5%, right? And art. our, you know, is very obviously expressive. It's very creative. Um, some people are fearful of, of of drawing or painting or sculpting because of what people are going to think of how they're expressing themselves. But somehow how, along the way, we've learned a bit to we prioritize other people's concerns, you know, over our own. And um, you know, I do a lot of of training in the, in the U.S. and Hollywood with actors you know, as you know, speed, read scripts, memorize their lines quicker, be focused and on set. You know, I was working with uh, Jim Carrey, and I remember where I was at his home and we're spending the entire day together. We take a break to make uh, brain foods. You know, you and I talk about brain foods all the time and neuronutrition, nutrition yeah. and we're making like guacamole and stuff like that in his kitchen. And I asked him like the same question I asked this young lady, you know, why do, why do, you, why do you do what you do? And he was like, Jim, I act like a complete fool on camera so extreme because I wanna give people who are watching permission to, to be themselves. You know, he's like, my religion is to, is to free people from the concern of other people. And he thinks that's the biggest challenge. And it's, I spent a lot of time, you know, one of, one of my mentors, uh, was is Dr. Stephen Covey, and I, I learned a lot from the man, he wrote one of my favorite books, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, so these are the seven habits of the most effective people you know walking the earth and one of the habits uh, were uh, began with the end in mind me and how i interpret that is you could break it down to even from your life or to your day you know you and i we've talked about how do we structure our day for optimal performance and everything and part of it is for my day It's like what i think about the end in mind I'm like okay when i come back into this bed you know at the end of the day what what how do I celebrate this? Like, you know, our, our friend Clay Bear talks about the champagne moment. Like, what are we, what am I celebrating? Like, this was a great day. If I come home and, and somebody asked me how my day was, I was like, I crushed it. What was the criteria, you know, working backwards. You could also do that for your whole entire life, uh, because how are you going to plan your day if you don't have a plan for your life, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I spent an enormous amount of time in nursing homes, in uh, senior centers, uh, because, you um, you know, just, Growing up in, in the, the way I did, there's a lot of reverence for, you know, parents and grandparents and, and the wisdom. Um, and also it's a personal thing for me because I, I lost my grandmother to dementia, to Alzheimer's. And this was when I was having my learning challenges. So it was like a double whammy for me to spend time with the, the woman who helped raise me because my, 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 my dad and my mom had multiple jobs. And so she was like stewarding. And so to see her deteriorate, um, was very disheartening. You know, if anyone who had knows somebody who has brain aging challenges, you know has faced that close to them, if it's, it's like they're losing who they are, and they call you by a wrong name or they repeat something they just said to you. or um, And so I spent a lot of time in the senior centers helping, not in this like, teach like teaching a little bit. Like I teach at the Cleveland Clinic for Brain Health, working with their doctors or caregivers, which I think caregivers like hats off to you. Because, um, and I would just as a tangent, just remind the caregivers to take care of themselves also, because it's hard. You can't give what which, which you don't have. Um, but I spend a lot of time and polishing off their memories and just learning from all that wisdom um, through the stories, because I think they're they're priceless. And um, also, I hear some regrets. You know, when people are at the later stages of their life, and the, the number one I regret I hear on a consistent basis. You know, it's said in different ways, but the ultimately it is. You know, I didn't live my life. You know, I, I held back in some way because my, you know, I, I went into this profession because of my parents or, you know, my friends or, my, you know, what was expected of me. or mm-hmm. I didn't have a relationship with this person because of what other people would think. You know what I mean? There, I, I don't know who said this. It might be Jim Rohn or somebody, but it's that discipline weighs ounces, but regret weighs tons. You know, we have one life, you know, one life, as as we know it and then you know why aren't we running like we're on fire you know towards our our, our dark dreams and uh, I would say that that a lot of people have trouble with finding sometimes their passions or their purpose and I there's two different things so for me passion is what lights you up and purpose is how to use that to light other people up you know so my passion is learning and my purpose is teaching people how to learn. Right, um, but I think a lot of people who come to us and they they ask like, "Oh, I don't know what my passions are." I would say, you know, get stimulus and novelty, <laughs> and experiment, and be playful, mm-hmm. and put yourself in situations.
1: Or perspective, uh, I, the way that you, the way that you had perspective with your friend. You know? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And then you know, and as you know, and parents and teachers, they could also do this. Encourage novelty, um, because and then you could see. I always encourage people if they are drawn to something, maybe try it at least three times. Try it once to just to see how it is. Try try it again to get you know decently good at it. Try it again to see if you if you like it or not. Right? And it, but people just don't experiment and 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 um and play, and they always say that here is consistently and people will say no I I, I stopped playing because I grew older I need to be responsible and mature but I was like no maybe you grew older because you stopped playing. And I think the play, you think about children, how fast they can learn languages and how fast they can learn musical instruments. They, they're very playful and not scared of making mistakes. And certainly not concerned about what other people think um, as much. And so um, I think that our passions, some of us, we might know what our passions or even our purpose is, but it's buried underneath the expectations and opinions of everybody else. You can't see it as much.
1: I love what you're saying because you're giving, uh, in the same way that Jim Carrey was like, I'm just going to be so silly to give people permission to do that. You're talking about giving people permission to be curious. So when we talk about superpowers, you know, we talked about creativity and imagination and like staying curious. I think when you think about promoting healthy brain aging or, or, you know, you know, uh, protecting your brain from aging, staying curious and playful and in, like adopting that inquisitive, like nature of children, I think is really, really important. That's what I'm, that's what I'm taking from what, what you're talking about here.
2: Yeah. And even if, and it, this is
0: great too, because, and we could all reclaim that. I mean, we could all reclaim that also of curiosity. It's, I, I think really the nature of this conversation, really the foundation of it is is personal responsibility.
2: Mm-hmm. It,
0: it's that um, the story I, I I tell on stage or on on Instagram is I got to introduce two of my modern day superheroes together because each one wanted to meet each other um, and I had worked with both of them so I introduced them over over dinner and uh, it's uh, Richard Branson and Stan Lee. Oh <laughs> yeah. Stan's. Uh, yeah. And,
2: um,
0: I, I, I get emotional. When I think about you know Stan's passing, mm. but. But I'd known him for, uh, for, for many, both of them for many, many years, and we're in the car, and I, had to, I have to ask Stan, I'm like, you know, you've created all these amazing, co creators all my heroes, you know, Avengers, X-Men, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, who's your favorite? And he says, Jim, my favorite is um, Iron Man. He's like, Jim, what, who's your favorite? And I, and I, I had to say, because he had this big Spider-Man tie, <laughs> I said, Spider-Man. And without a pause, he says, Jim, with great power comes great responsibility. And everyone could finish that sentence because it's like in our DNA, the hero's journey. It's like built in, like in, in our biology. And I, I still, to this day, you know, flip things around, you know, sometimes when I read and when I hear things, um, I don't know if it's because of my accident or, or what, um, but I heard something different. And I count kind of myself like, you're right, Stan, with great power comes great responsibility. And the opposite is also true. With great responsibility comes great power when we take responsibility for something, we have great power to make it better. And I know your podcast is about, is about improvement and progress and making things better. It starts with having agency and you have the responsibility for, you know, what you focus on, for what you feel, for what, you know, for what you do, for your thoughts. And they're not happening to us. A lot of times we just sometimes out of laziness, you know, just, just a mental cognitive laziness. We just, you know, just, are at the effect all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it's like we we, tr- we get trained at a very early age. It's like a parent says something, you know, like like it can be um, like not, they're not conscious of it, but there's there's always learning going on with children. They're, they're a sponge and they're always trying to figure out what things mean. But, you know, sometimes this as a ex- thought experiment, you know, a parent says, oh, you know, and like, you know, kids are all excited about going out on that Saturday play sports or whatever. And then but maybe it rained that day and it's communicated by the parent just like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. It's, it's raining out day. And then, but the impression is, is like, we're at the effect of the weather. You know what I mean? There's some kind of deeper learning that's happening or could be learned there. Mm-hmm. And the difference between being a thermometer and a thermostat. And I imagine people listening to your podcast, they identify more with the thermostat because a thermometer, the function of a thermometer is what? It just re- reacts mm-hmm. to the environment. That's, that's all it does. It is reactive. And you can never have a quality of life being reactive, right? But a, a thermostat is proactive. thermostat sets a temperature and what happens in the environment the temperature meets that expectation you know but that that temperature that thermostat is that you could also set a goal you could set a vision right and the world raises to be able to meet that and you know where we're affecting the world where the world is reacting to us as opposed to us reacting to them and just as a side note you and i have talked about this a lot when it comes to our phones a lot of people are just reacting all the time just to their phones And they're being controlled by this technology because they're giving it its power much like they give other people their power They give up their power to their family and friends and their expectations and your family could Like some people who are listeners can identify like why are you going to another archangel summit? Why are you listening to another podcast? Why are you reading all those books? And you know the, the maybe they deep down the family members could really care for you. They don't want you to get hurt they don't want to get your hopes up. Maybe unconsciously they see you progressing and don't want to lose you, right? Or lose connection with you because you're changing. Mm-hmm. And, but they can be sincere, but they can be sincerely wrong. And so I just want to sensitize sometimes the people that care about us the most, their expectations or opinions are the ones that hold us back in certain areas. And you can still love your family, but you really choose who you take you know, advice and feedback from. You know, I posted this the other day on Twitter. And, you know, it's just this idea that don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from.
1: Oh yeah. And And I I think sometimes with family too, to your point, I think people mean well, but mm -hmm. they, you are almost a mirror to them because if they see you progressing and they themselves are not, or they are find themselves in the same situation, that can be very difficult for their, you know, for their ego or otherwise to understand. And I think that there's a tendency to, you know, neurobiologically to keep everybody same, same, like everybody same, same in the tribe for survival rather than for, for thriving. So, um,
0: And that's the thing that, you know, some things what we're facing is just the outside environment. That's a great point. It's the outside environment that I have good, could have good intentions. And it's also the inside environment also as, as well in terms of how we, how we see ourselves and, and, and our, own, our own, our own perception of what we're capable of.
1: I wanted to, uh, you touched on it this before, and I thought this would be a good segue. We've been talking a little bit about some of the innate superpowers that I think humans have uh, over, you know, other, you know, robots and AI and stuff what are, what, let's flip it because I know you and I, you know, we geek out over superheroes all the time. I remember, I can't remember where we were, but we were sitting beside each other and I was on my phone for a second and I put it down, I flipped it over so I wouldn't be bothered by the notifications. And you looked at my phone case and you laughed and then you showed me yours and mine was Wonder Woman. I think yours was Iron Man. So why don't we, why don't we talk about supervillains? Let's talk about kryptonite. Is there, would you classify things as, in terms of modern day life, do we have any supervillains or kryptonite that we deal with every day?
0: There are there are number ones that we can identify. And I think everyone can relate to them because they're ever-present. And they weren't necessarily as powerful as they were in previous generations, but now they are at their, they're at their peak and they're just growing more and more powerful. And their power comes from, uh, from this exponential technology, this digital world that we live in. So four of them I could list right away like digital supervillains the number one is digital overload Mm. too much information too little time i think everyone could relate to that that we're all just it's like taking a sip of water out of a fire hose just to be able to we are drowning in this information and it's creating health challenges you know we, we talk about wellness and optimal health it's information anxiety information fatigue syndrome higher blood pressure compression of leisure time more sleeplessness You know, or even if people have a break, they can't even enjoy because their mind is still distracted and multitasking, uh, which we know is just, you know, a a myth in general. It's task task switching. Mm -hmm. So I think that to combat that, we have the superpower, you know, about learning faster, about reading faster, be able to keep up with, keep up, catch up. You can get ahead also, you know, and be able to process all these things that we need to read, all these books on our shelf that just sit on our shelf and, as, uh, as our mutual friend Lisa Nichols says, it becomes shelf help and not self-help, right? We buy books and we don't read them because it, we're just overloaded with them. So that's one, um, digital overload. Um, digital distraction, that's one pretty much self-explanatory. The supervillain that's keeping us from our productivity, our performance, is like, how do you stay concentrated on something in a world full of distractions, like app notifications, social media alerts, in a world where you know, I did a podcast interviewing Dr. BJ Fogg out of Stanford University, who has a research lab there on human behavior. And one of his, and he's about all about habits. And then we did an episode on how to create new habits and how to break old habits, because it's a different process for it. And actually, when talking about habitual um, behaviors, one of his students co-founded Instagram. And you think about how many, how habitual, you know, somebody told me that the average person opens up Instagram 150 times a day. Somebody, oh my
2: God.
0: And if you're not doing it that much, that means because I'm definitely not. Somebody else is doing it a whole lot more mm-hmm. because it's they have all these behavioral psychologists that they pay so much money to really, you know, every like and share and comment. is a dopamine flood, you know, through our, our our nervous system, and it becomes an addiction. And I'm defining addiction practically, functionally, as just a behavior that is not is not empowering us. And that we cannot stop, right? We're or a lot a of a- cry
1: for connection in some way. That's exactly. what, most, yeah. Most most addictions are a cry for connection.
0: Absolutely, some kind of like like hurt or or, or some kind of wound, and it's sometimes mm-hmm. we were trying to get it through this this fix, this temporary fix, which is interesting because I know Emily Fletcher talks about the difference between mindfulness and meditation. And mindfulness gets you out of stress in the moment, but true meditation will get rid of historical stress, like in trauma from our past. Um, and so, going back to this, we have this digital um, distraction, which is a big challenge because, and it's driven by our smart devices. And you and I know, and we've seen, you know, the, the the research and the studies. Our mutual friend, you know, Brendan bersard did a big study on this, also as well, for yeah. high performance. Yeah. That we touch our phone, you know, the first thing in the morning. That's what most people do. Um, I'll ask an audience how many people, you know, touch their phone first thing, and it's the last thing they touch at night. And the problem is, is when you wake up in the morning, and you know this, you're in this relaxed, calm state of awareness. Um, You're cycling through these alpha, these theta states. You're very suggestible, right? And I'm I'm all about limiting the input the first hour of the day. You know what I mean? I don't want any input. If anything, I'm using the morning or the first hour or two to get output be to be creative to think to to foster my vision i want to limit the news and all that other stuff because if you pick up your phone when you're in that suggestible relaxed state you're training you're rewiring your brain number one for distraction every like share comment cat video whatever it's just it's just building those distraction muscles Uh, because again focus is not something you have it's something that you're you're building um, it's something that's a process. You do um, the
1: focus as a, a, as yeah. a quick tweetable. You do the yeah. focus. You don't have the focus. Yeah, and It's
0: all about taking nouns and turning them into verbs. Mm-hmm. And taking those things like you don't have energy, you do energy. You don't have motivation, you do motivation. You don't have focus, you do focus. And you just break it down to process. And again, that gives you your agency back, and your power back. Because so then you could do something as opposed to waking up and just saying, oh, I hope I have focus today. Or I hope I feel I hope I have a creativity so I can make videos or write my book or whatever. Right. Right. So you turn into a process, but the second thing touching your phone in the morning does the first hour of the day, especially is it rewires your brain to be reactive. You know, you're, you're fighting fires. You get one message, text message, voicemail, email, whatever, social media message, and it can put you in a bad mood for the rest of your day. Right. And it puts you on the defense and that's, that's the worst thing. You're reactive and you're, you're automatically, if you're touching your phone, you're, you're a thermometer. You're gauging everything about what's going on in the world as opposed to you proactively, you know, being, uh, having your, your impact. And, um, and your email box, like Brendan Burchard says, your inbox is nothing but a convenient organizational system for other people's agenda for your life. I get I call them truth bumps, right? I just this is just so real, but it's hard. And so, you really need to set up your environment. And when I'm thinking about habits and motivation, motivation is a myth. Like it's it's you know it's you're pumping yourself up, but I think there is a sustainable drive that you could find. But part of it is finding your purpose. Part of it is having mental energy. So doing the you know the ten things that I talk about to 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 raise your energy levels for your for your brain health. But the third thing is these these habits, and habits really start with micro commitments. You know, when I'm thinking about making kind of behavioral change. And I talked about this on my podcast is we did, so we did on tiny habits, like it, you know, flossing is, it helps you to live longer, you know, and you know, good dental, um, uh, oral hygiene. And yet most people, a lot of people don't. Right. And so it, maybe it's this new thing. It's new behavior you need to add, but so don't try to get people to floss, you know, all their teeth, just get them to floss one tooth, because I promise you, you're not going to just stop after one tooth. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with reading. When I train um, people to read a book a week, so I, I just say, yes, it's about 30 or 45 minutes a day to get through a book a week, which is surprisingly low. And that's if you're an average reader. And, you know, and that's not even including if you, you know, take a, like one of our reading programs and you can do it in 15 minutes a day. But I don't even ask people to read 15 minutes a day. I just say, hey, read one sentence a day. Because you know, it's the tiniest habits. Like, Just get yourself to the gym. And, you know, that, that's it. Just get yourself to the gym and then, then you're going to work out, you know, once you're there, but you break it down. It
1: removes a lot of the mental resistance, right? Like I remember, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, Giovanni's like, I'm going to go for a run. And I said, eh, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it. He's like, just come for me for five minutes. I'm like, I could run for five minutes. And then we started running and he's like, okay, like, you know, five minutes, we're done. And I was like, no, no, we just, we've just gotten started, you know? Yeah. So it's that momentum. Like you just remove a little bit of that mental resistance just to start like, just get yourself to the gym, and then as soon as you step in, you can go home. You know, but you know that when you get there, you're going to do maybe one rep or one exercise or something. Yeah,
0: and people could apply this towards their clients because I know you have coaches that watch this, or, and teachers or parents, yeah, you know, your children, just pick up one thing. You know, one thing, one thing. You start very small um, because little by little, little becomes a lot. And the thing is, is it's, it's the side the, the the principle is this: the Zeigarnik effect. So the Zeigarnik effect um, is named after the psychologist she was, her last name is Igarnik. she was in a European cafe and she noticed that the wait staff would remember everyone's orders um, until they were delivered. And once they were served, they would forget it. And she said that the mind doesn't um, like open loops. And that if you start something, you feel, you feel more of this impulse to be able to close that loop. Um, and, and then once it's closed, and then, and then, so this is the idea is just start somewhere, but start anywhere and you're more likely to not procrastinate. Mm-hmm. Uh, procrastination is a, is, you know, is a big challenge for a lot of people. And I would say two things you could do is number one, find your purpose, like reasons reap results, like even reading. If you could just sensitize you and just really feel fully associated to the benefits of what you're gonna get from doing those things. Because often the things that, it's so interesting, people, human behavior, because I, I think that the treasure that most people seek is hidden in the work that they're avoiding you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This thing that They're just avoiding. Yeah. They don't want to fire that person or have that difficult conversation or that, you know, do that one thing that's going to be a breakthrough for for them. And we all do it. You know, I put off my, my book for years. You know, I didn't want to do that, that, that thing that because, because I was just, you know, maybe part of me is dealing with this, so the shy little boy with a broken brain that doesn't want the spotlight and everything. But, you know, I had a, I don't talk about this, but uh, I had a near-death experience. I was in that car accident, and it made me just think about where I could have and maybe should have died. But it made me think about legacy, and then life conditions change your value system also, and create maybe even a sense of urgency. It made me think that what we leave, you know, behind, and um, and I just so I signed the book deal, and because now I feel, you know, like even more so, I feel a moral obligation, even though I speak on stages, you know, every single week it's so interesting, right? My two biggest challenges were learning and public speaking. And the universe as a sense of humor because that's, that's <laughs> all I do is do public speaking on this you know, learning. And so, um, but that's- your, means mess, our,
1: your mess is your message.
0: Yes, very yeah. much so. Our yeah, struggle, yeah. Um, our superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's when you, when you lean into them, that difficult times they could, they could uh, diminish you or they could define you or they could develop you. They can make you better, but we decide, and we have that agency and responsibility, and it's not a bad thing. A lot of people don't want; they avoid responsibility, but that's where the the power comes from. That's where the freedom comes from. Um, because if you just put the things off, you do the easy things in life, which is really nothing. You know, just binge watching Netflix all day and not taking, not making decisions. A lot of people they don't make decisions because they're not, they haven't. They look at a menu, they can't even decide what they want because they they have such weak muscles, right? So right. part of it flexing and exercising, use it or lose it. Like your brain is like, like a muscle, it's use it or lose it. But then also, it's also like being, being active in the process. And so going, going through all of this, the, the, the digital distraction is a big challenge. I would just say, control your environment and and put the phone don't even, it's best. Don't even have the phone in the bedroom. How about that? Like set up your environment just to win. But, yeah. you know, but,
1: and you know, people will say, oh, but it's my alarm clock. And I'll say, just buy, like, just go to Best Buy and buy like a $10 alarm clock and charge that thing in the kitchen, you know, like out yeah. of the bedroom. Yeah.
0: And you don't, cause even, and then uh, Simon Sinek, he and I have this video on Facebook, uh, It has 36 million views. And he, you know, we're talking about this very topic. And he even talks about, um, and I'm talking about them not using your phone and, and distraction overload, and and a few the other digital challenges that we're going to talk about. But he was like, you know, he's told me, Jim. He's like, even when they have your phone on the on the table, even it's just like you have this urge. Like even if you're talking to somebody and that phone is just there, it's yeah. taking up energy. Like mm-hmm. like if you have windows open, you know, tabs open on your computer, even if it's you know like minimized, it's still like there, present. And sometimes you need to control it. Because my biggest thing with technology is technology is not good or bad. It's like fire. fires it could cook your food or it could burn down your home. It's just how it's supplied. And technology is a tool but if that you use. But if technology is using you, then who becomes the tool? Right. right? That's the thing. We're picking up our phone all the time out of habit and just out of unconsciousness. Out of boredom, that that's where it's it, it becomes crippling, and so digital distraction it's, it's building your your distraction muscles. The the last two supervillains I would say, besides digital overload, digital, digital distraction, is um, digital dementia, which is a new term in healthcare.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and this is basically we're so dependent on our smart devices, our smart devices are making us stupid. So we're highly it's that high reliance on technology where we don't have to do the work. And we're getting we're getting're we're getting flabby mental muscles, if you will. And our, our friend Dr. Daniel Amon says a perfect example of digital dementia is like GPS. If you're looking if you're using GPS locally, like where you live and you you're, it's telling you when and where to turn, you're not realizing when you would have a memory lapse. so you're not going to the doctors to get checkouts. you're not getting early detection of, of brain aging challenges, for example, if you're using your phone to keep your calendar, your to-do's to do simple math, your schedule, um, to keep all your phone numbers Now, i don't want to memorize 500 phone numbers but we've lost the ability how many of us lost the ability to remember one you know or a conversation we just had or a pin number or what hotel room we're in or an appointment or a meeting So you know, mm-hmm. that's why i talk about memory training because i believe two of the most costly words in our life you know in business certainly are i forgot i forgot to do it i forgot to bring it i forgot that meeting i forgot the conversation i forgot what i was going to say i forgot that person's name it just goes on and on and I do training you know, at Google, and uh, there it's just like, hey, our mission is to organize the world's information. And one time I was there, one of the uh, employees there, they are like, Jim, why do I need to remember any of this? I could just find it on our search engine. And my argument for that, and everyone in the room, like it was a mass agreement there, is just at any moment, as we talked about, our life is a reflection of our decisions at, at any moment in time. But we can only make a good decision based on the knowledge we have. At the moment, and if we don't know it, and and Socrates says learning is remembering. Learning is remembering, and a perfect example is just do the polar opposites. Like if you forgot, imagine like as to a listener who's listening to this, if you forgot half of what you know, I mean, how effective would you be? You forgot half the words, you know, half the people that you know, half half your expertise, your career. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be able to do a whole lot. And so, but, but if you could be able to learn more, you'd have more scaffolding, you know, more schema to be able to make a good. You know make good decisions in your life and so digital dementia is kind of like the physical toll that elevators and you know taking a cab i somebody asked the other day took a cab to go to the bank and the I'm in the uber and it was like five blocks away and it was a nice day i'm like so we're so con, we're so like we go to like the easiest route even though we we don't and we and so we get a physical toll because if you were to take the stairs we would just be more physically active um, yeah. like, should be, but also the mental toll of relying on your phone all the time also did, could lead to some atrophy there. So the digital dementia. The last one is digital depression. I actually should probably make them all D's because I am kind of OCD about that. Digital deluge instead of overload. So <laughs> <It's a> digital <laughs> deluge, digital distraction, digital um, um, dementia, and digital uh, depression. And that's basically the world we live in right now, social media. It's it's the unfortunate side effect is where people don't feel like they're enough because they're swiping through and seeing everyone's life as being perfect. And we all know that it's highly curated, that we're watching these highlight trailers, but we still feel like, you know, like comparison, you know, and as as the quote goes, like, comparison, you know, envy is a thief of joy. Mm -hmm. And if the grass is greener, you know, we know that the, we, the grass, I know, you know, the grass is greener where we water it and we all heard these things, but maybe like on social media, maybe it's greener because it's artificial turf because
2: right. you just never
0: know like what's filter
2: it, <laughs> It's a right? filter.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so many people, their self-worth is, you know, they don't feel like they're enough because they're seeing all this and they're experiencing a high, high level of FOMO, right? The fear of missing out and... It's just, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And so just having perspective, and I think it's nice to have a digital detox. You know, when I was just recently in uh, in South Africa, I, I did a talk for a few thousand entrepreneurs and then I just got offline for a couple of days and went on a safari and just, you know, what that how healing that is, do you disconnect to reconnect and not being dialed in all the time. And the other thing I would say for being a good critical thinker, as, just, as we're just having this in flow conversation, is um the scheduling that time around peak times high, high energy times but most people do their thinking as like a just a nice to have or they do it bef- between meetings and stuff and but if we say that our value here is our ability to create and use our imagination solve problems be a critical thinker a divergent thinker is um it's scheduled time for that and, and i would prioritize that time and i would Do it during times like we all have a certain rhythm throughout the day. And I think intuitively people know if they're a morning person or more late afternoon or evening person, but schedule time because if it's not in your calendar, it doesn't get it doesn't get done.
1: Yeah. And I, uh, you and I have talked a lot about this in terms of, for me, I'm a morning person. So I like to wake up. I love the quietness of the morning. I uh, agree. I feel like I'm much more creative, much much more suggestible at that time. So I love to, uh, there's a, you know, I've written an article. I think you and I have geeked out about this. We can link to, uh, you know, your podcast on morning habits, which I think I really enjoyed. Maybe uh, do you want to go over like some quick, a couple things that you love to do every morning to prime yourself for a wonderful day?
0: I, I'll, I'll, yeah, a few things. And I would love to know a few of yours also. We've talked about sure. this. Also, your evening routine was, was really, really helpful also for me because, um, you know, I've been in this past week, I was in, in three continents. Mm-hmm. Just seven days, so it's just you know have, nice to have like a set routine. This idea of habits this saying that you know first you create your habits and your habits create you. This idea that if you want to win the day, you got to win the first hour of the day. You know you create your habits of meditation and journaling and and having brain power smoothies, or, and then it creates you back. Right? I, I don't do all these things every day, and nor do I expect people to do it. But I think something is better than nothing. And the idea here is you you walk, you wake up, and you're. I really want to set up and schedule and structure my day around being proactive as opposed to being at the effect. So again, the first hour of the day, I limit all input as much as possible so I could just be with myself because um, that's where I feel like I really shine. That's my zone of genius. Um, I wake up and I um, the night before, I, I usually think about a question that I want to just dream about um, before I go to bed. It's just I, the mind, people don't realize this, but you're, they think most people think that your mind is just you know, flatlined at night, you know, it's just your brain is turned off at night, but your brain is actually very active at night and it's consolidating short to long-term memory and you're dreaming, you're coming up. So if you spend your day as a student um, or, you know, where you're learning all day, your brain is just processing all that, right? Creating meaning and long-term um, remembrance of it. If you're an entrepreneur, same thing, if you're solving problems all day, your brain is still working on it when you sleep. And um, and we'll that's, when brain,
1: 20- that's when your print brain cleans itself as well. So yes. like sleep yeah. is so
0: important, but yes, I'm sorry. Absolutely. And then, 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 then I love it. You know, I'm, I'm wearing my aura ring here, but I'm looking at, you know, analyzing my deep sleep and, and my REM sleep and different uh, phases of sleep, you know, different physiological effects, but cleaning the, 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 um, the amyloid plaque and everything that can lead to the brain aging challenges. That's like, that's so important sleep. And we'll spend probably about 20 years of our life sleeping and about three to five of that probably about in the dream state, And why do I talk about dreams? It's just like what I'll do is I'll prime my mind before I go to bed with like a question that I'm just working on. You know, more recently, it's on the book um, and, and just ideas that I'm just kind of new creative thoughts. And then I'll sleep and then, and then the first thing i'll do in the morning is i'll 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 go through a process of remembering my dreams and I'll, and i'll you know i did a podcast episode six ways of you can remember your dreams but one of them was oh, right awesome.
1: we will link to that in the show notes that's incredible cuz so yeah. many people will say i wake up and i had this amazing dream but i can't
2: remember
0: oh and there's and that's oh. the thing there's a process for that and there's a process uh, for lucid dreaming you know being aware of your dreams and the reason am i'm, I'm, I'm talking about this because it's not a conversation a lot of entrepreneurs or, or thought leaders like like that we're, we're always thinking about but that's a significant amount of 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 utilizable time and, and energy as a resource and creativity um so people don't realize this but in dream state mary shelley came up with frankenstein in her dream um wow. the, a chemist came up with the framework for the periodic table in his dream mm-hmm. an inventor named elias house created uh, the sewing machine in his dream I mean, it's incredible. There, there's just all these. Uh, Paul McCartney came up with the song "Yesterday" in his dream. Um, it's it's uh, um, Jack Nicholas, the golfer. You know, he was going through a, a slump where he was shooting high seventies, and in his dream, he switched his grip, and then the next day, shot ten points better. You know, so like our dreams, like that's the thing. Like when we're going through our day, our brain is actually you know working on things in these in this kind of in this dream state. And when we wake up, it's it's tragedy that that all that art and science and literature and all those ideas are lost inventions and everything. So you, know, I, first thing I do is I you know, before I go to bed, I think about this question. and I just let it go. I surrender. I meditate in the morning. After I often have a lot of answers, and I just write them down. I remember my dreams. Another thing I do, which is common that we've all heard because you know so many of us have been talking about it, is make my bed. Um, And why is that good for your brain is, again, how you do anything is how you do everything. And you want to start your day with excellence. And you want to train your brain. The habit is this meta habit of showing up for yourself and doing things well. Right? So making your bed takes, what, two minutes? But there's a reason why in the military they make their bed with such precision. The angles, like the certain centimeters, everything is measured. Because how they do that is how they're going to do things the rest of the day. Um, so, And we also know one of the precepts, um, principles of good brain health is a clean environment. Like I happen to be in a hotel room right now and I just know when I come back and I make my bed, but when I come back, it's even nicer made. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it feels good, right? And, and it's also a good full circle when you come back at night and you go into your, it's just like you come full circle to success. And right? it's
1: a sacred environment, right? Like, you know, honoring the environment as a sacred space for rest, I think is very important.
0: Yes. And it's very important that um, to that point, just, just as added bonus, is you, you talk about this also, is just, just certain things get anchored to our learning experience. And we get trained to go in certain states and certain environments. You know, so we did an episode just where, hey, if you, if you have an iPad, have one for work. And if you can, have one for pleasure you know, like, or something like that, you know, where you're training yourself. Like, for example, I don't do any work on an iPad. So I just use it just to watch, you know, like, you know, so downtime Um, or, you know, in certain rooms in the house, same thing, like sleep is for, I mean, it's like the bedroom is for sleep is lovemaking, but that that's what you don't bring work into that environment.
1: Right. And it's very, uh, the brain is a very associative organ. So if you can't sleep, this is the other thing. If you cannot sleep, and you're lying in bed, tossing and turning, the best thing for you to do is get up and get out of the bedroom because you do not want your brain to be associating the bedroom with lack of sleep.
0: Right. Yeah. Because all, all learning is state dependent and then the environment gets triggered to that state. Yeah. Um, there was a study done where they took um, individuals and they submersed them underwater with you know, air uh, breathing apparatus and they had to memorize a list of words like, like we do. And then they took them out of the environment and tested them. To see how well they how many they remembered and they put them back underwater in the original environment to see how many they remembered and where do they remember more it was back to in the, the water system. probably yeah, because but they realized that environment got coded encoded with the information and then by being that information helped trigger and remind them of the information so just even a, a studying hack is you know we often train uh speakers to be able to speak in the train to rehearse and and, re- and memorize and um go over their lines in the room that they're going to present in or ta- or where they're going to have the test and obviously most time that's not possible so what you do is you take the environment with you and the most powerful of our of the five senses when it comes to human memory as you know is olfactory is a sense of smell
2: oh yeah and,
0: you know and we all know this right we, there could be a smell that could take us back to when we're teenagers You know, a certain food or perfume or cologne, Um, and it's it's essential. And so, when when you're studying something, if you can't study in that environment that you need to perform in, then bring the environment with you. Meaning, smell like a unique essential oil or fragrance, and then when you need to perform, wear that same you know or that same chewing gum or whatever flavor, and then you'll you'll recall even even more. But um, clean environments is just very important. So this, I make my bed. I have a tall glass of water because people don't realize how much water we lose at night through respiration and perspiration. They, I've read various studies, but even a two percent dip in in hydration because your your brain, as we know, is obviously mostly water. But your brain is um it's only two percent of our body mass, you know, on average. But it requires like twenty percent of the nutrients and hydration and air and yeah, it's everything. Like
1: twenty five percent of our BMR. Crazy.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. It's in, absolutely incredible. And the, the thing about how it's bioelectrical and I think they, I read that there's like a two a, a or 3% dip in hydration where you're dehydrated. And if, and if you're thirsty, you're already dehydrate, obviously very dehydrated already, but they can lead to a, a 30% decrease in reaction time and thinking speed and all that. It's crazy, but just hydration is just very important. So I hydrate, super hydrate. I also do my, my probiotics at the same time um, just because, you know, Some people say your gut is your second brain, you know, it's high concentration. And -hmm. I think that's very important. Um, Other things I do in no specific order, um, I do three minutes of just workout. It's not my workout for the morning because I I actually work out later in the the afternoon. That's how I kind of have my rhythm, my my routine. But there's some studies done, um, one of them, uh, Appalachian State University, where they tested people working out at 7 a.m., 1 p.m., and 7 p.m. and found out that the morning... In my, my goal, and they had better sleep, they lost more weight, and so on. What's good for your heart is going to be good for your head. I just want to get blood flow moving. And so I have three minutes of just had some high intensity. Um, I brush my teeth. And what does that have to do with my brain? Um, I brush my teeth with my opposite hand, which I'm very very famous for popularizing on YouTube and, and to dismay of just everyone on Facebook seeing these videos. But the reason why is a study done by Dr. Lawrence Katz and he was working with seniors and wanted to find out how um, how to keep their brain alive. Uh, and, uh, and he found out there were simple things. He broke it down to like 80 different little exercises. Uh, he called them neurobics, like aerobics. Neurobics, oh,
1: that's right? great. I love that name. <laughs>
0: and every single one was simple things like brushing your teeth with the opposite hand or eating with the opposite hand and you're challenging the opposite side of your brain, which doesn't get as much activity because it's not just your mind-body connection. There's a body-mind connection. that use your body in certain way stimulates different parts of your brain that might not be get that stimulus if you're not using that body part. And also I do it though because it trains your presence. Meaning that if you're to brush your teeth with the opposite hand, you have to pay attention. And where most people are just watch, you know, in the morning they're they're on their phone, they're they they're being, they're thinking about the feet, their minds are everywhere. Like I want to train it like right here to be focused and doing activity. So I think that's very brain healthy. I like you. I'm a fan of a cold therapy for lowering inflammation, just resetting my nervous system. So I I take cold showers. Um, that really works for me. And I just I met um, Wim Hof over it was seven years ago. I, I mean, before he was Wim Hof, um, we had a mutual friend introduce us and I interviewed him and he's come, it's amazing how much, how much he's, his impact has grown and, and how he has, he has really progressed. And I've had him on my show multiple times, but uh, cold therapy and part of it, also, besides inflammation and, you know, I'm in, you know, crowd chambers and stuff like that. I, I like doing difficult things like you, because I feel like, you know, yes, we're talking about being better. If you want to be better, I think there's a mindset for it. I always talk about the four G's, you know, it's a growth mindset. All Carol Dweck's, you know, seminal work on it. That's not fixed like your shoe size, that it's it's growth and, but also grit and grit really is perseverance and getting yourself to do difficult things first thing in the morning. I like it because how you do anything is how you do everything. And, you know, if you need to have that difficult conversation or go in front of, give a talk at your next meeting or something that's, has to challenge you emotionally, you've trained yourself. Um, so you're, 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 we, I know we talk a lot about mental intelligence and yes, I teach people through our programs how to, how to learn foreign languages and facts and figures and all that stuff. But also it's not just mental intelligence, it's mental fitness and it's mental health. And I think those are, those are very important. Um, especially in today's age, it's just being mentally fit and you have some resilience that that's there. Um, the other two G's I would say is, is gratitude. Right, (laughs) because without gratitude, you you, people have every every resource out there. But if they don't appreciate what they have, um, my friend Lynn Twist says, "What you appreciate appreciates, you know, grows." And I think that's very important. Thought experiment everyone could do is just, you know, it's one of those ideas where you just sit and just just meditate and just, what if the only things you had tomorrow were the things you express gratitude for today? You know, and that's a great exercise to really help you to focus and concentrate on the things that are are important uh, and valuable to you. What you appreciate appreciates, and I think the the fourth the G in, in a great like superhero mindset, you have the growth, you you have the grit, you have the gratitude, which is which is so very important because if you don't, you know even just the like the words that we use, when you change a word from oh I I, I gotta pick up the kids or I gotta work out or I got to you know go go to my office or whatever, changing got to get. <laughs> And it just feels different i get to pick up the kids i get to work out i get to go to the office that kind of thing and so gratitude has to be center for everything and then the the fourth g i would say is giving just a giving mindset and that's why i I love the work that you do because i feel like that we don't we shouldn't give to get i think we should give because it's really who we are and um and and that's really what it's about everything in nature always grows you know has these same principles right they they it grows or it dies and also everything nature also gives or otherwise it's kind of eliminated also as well. And we're not just here for ourselves. It's for something, something greater.
1: Yeah. And you have been so giving with your time. Um, if people wanted to, if, I mean, we're going to be linking out in the show notes, uh, some of the podcast uh, episodes that we've been talking about, but where can people find you? I know that, uh, you know, you're writing a book. I know it's not ready quite yet, but this is not the first and the last time I feel that you're going to be on the better podcast. Uh, if people want to find you, maybe uh, give us some direction in, in terms of where the, yeah, listeners
0: I, would, I would love to invite people to join us for their podcast listeners. Um, you know, we have a show, so it's about 15 minutes. I would recommend the episodes that I did with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fun, yeah. <laughs> they were they were extremely popular also. Like it like there was so much engagement and so many comments. People were sharing it like crazy. So I want to thank you for that. It's just quickbrain.com, kw they said the spell right, kwikbrain.com. You get links to to the show on all the different platforms. And then um, on social media, like like you, um, I'm very active there, and we do lives and you know Q and As and all that good stuff. So it's at Jim Quick on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And I would say that I would can I challenge everyone to do something?
1: Ah, oh, yes, I yeah. love challenges.
0: I, would, no, I think it's important that um, again, the knowledge is not only power. You know, it's just it becomes power when we utilize it. That someone that people take action right away. And I think one of the fastest ways to learn something is by teaching somebody else. And paying it forward, and something about having responsibility when you're learning, when you listen, maybe even listen, re-listen to this podcast, or you know, or moving forward to all your other future shows, is listen with the intent of teaching somebody else. Because our focus would better, we'll concentrate better, we'll take better notes, we'll own that information. Because ultimately, we're, we're taking information and we're adding some kind of inspiration so we can implement it. You know, three eyes, and then my, my goal is for the fourth eye, which is integration where it becomes our new identity. It just becomes not something you learn. It's something that it's who you are. And and it's great because we don't have to do everything. I don't think anyone should copy everything that somebody does. I think people have to find their own way. And it's great that you have mentors. Like we all have mentors and people have, you know, experts that we've learned from and we can pick and choose what we like. So I'd recommend people listen to this episode again, take a screenshot of it and tag you and me on it. So we see it. And maybe share in that post uh, your you know, like one thing that you're gonna do moving forward because of this conversation. Maybe something in your morning routine or has to do, you know, with your mindset or your approach to learning, or hey, I'm gonna read, you know, going to read one sentence a day, you know, and it's something that's positive or this intuition, something that you're gonna change that you're gonna make, or something that you learned in this conversation. So take a screenshot, tag both of us in it so we see it, share your like a big aha or or, or your new thing that you're gonna, you're non-negotiable on it. And um, as always, I'll, I'll always kind of repost some of my favorites because I like sharing it also, also yeah, as well.
1: Me too. And uh, it's it's funny to think, you know, just thinking, you know, your last name is Quick and you have just dedicated your life to making people quicker, better and faster. So, so it's so serendipitous sometimes. So I wanted to just thank you so much. I am going to, I'm looking up for that challenge. I love that so much. So uh, anybody listening, I would love to take you up on that. And uh, just really love and appreciate you, Jim, every time we talk. And I am also a student of yours as well. So you are, you know, my colleague, someone who I immensely respect, but I have learned so much from you as well. So thank you so much for everything that you've put out into the world thus far. And I'm just looking forward to uh, the book and all the things that are coming your way.
0: You're amazing. I'm a big follow of your work also as well. I want to thank you for the cape that you wear. And uh, I really respect everyone who's listening to this still, like who's made it to the end. I love it. <laughs> there are people who, because people, some people are, are. I mean, like it's, it's. They completion is a big deal. And so I want people to honor them because I really respect everyone who's, who's, who, who's, who's stuck with this because it's this a conversation that, that's important. And I look forward to listening to your future podcasts on, so I could, so I could be better also.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Jim.
0: Take care,
2: Stephanie.
1: Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find all this information at our website, bettershow.co. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-S-H-O-W.co. Maybe the simplest way to keep in touch with me is to sign up for my email. When you go to bettershow.co, there'll be a little pop-up. And I send a weekly email on all things mindset, nutrition, fitness, uh, longevity, aging, things that are capturing my attention that week in a newsletter that we call Brain Candy. You can find me on social, on Twitter, it's doctor underscore Stephanie. On Instagram, I am Doctor Estima. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. E S T I M A. And finally, a legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice, discussions, and recommendations that we discuss on this podcast do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare professional's advice or care. There is no doctor patient relationship that has been established in the consumption of this podcast. And the use and implementation of the information contained here are at the sole discretion of the listener. The content in this podcast is not intended to be used as a substitute for any professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment.